Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia, and welcome to My Millennial Property. You're here with Emily Wallace and John Pigeon, as always. Now, Emily, what do we need to focus on when we're buying property with our partner for the first time? We're going to thrash this one out and many more on our Q&A today. So let's do it. Let's do it. Righto. So what do we think? I, I reckon we just both need to be on the same page to begin with, don't we? So we, we need to be sitting down with our partner and saying, what are your goals and outcomes I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours and 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 make sure we're we're starting right from the start on a on an even playing field and and we've got the same values and beliefs and uh, and the same outcome. What 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 do you think? Yeah, I totally agree and I also think um prior to the event of purchasing together because that's obviously a big event, there is every chance that you um, and or your partner may already own a property in the form of an investment or maybe you've previously owned your own home and sold it. It depends, you know, at what life stage you're at and when you met each other and, and the, all those factors. So I think even before you're sort of sitting down and chatting about um, the next steps in buying together, it's also protecting the assets that you currently have individually. And I think it's one of the biggest things that is spoken about, but lacks action and that's around um, binding financial agreements that do stipulate you know properties belonging to an individual that they may have held prior to being in a partnership I'm a big like I'm really big on educating about that because I think it's such an a topic that's spoken about but people are like oh you know we won't break up it'll be fine yeah totally and we don't want a case where because we've got our differences and we can't get beyond those, we, we don't do anything at all. Or um, mm. and and like I, I had a, actually had a a situation which wasn't really a nice one, but I think it worked out for the best. Where the the, the couple sat down and talked about their goals and aspirations, and in the end, they realised that they're actually on this different page. And what ended happening was they 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 split up. And mm. they've now gone their separate ways, which was unfortunate at the time. But looking back on it, they it was a it was a really good exercise to go through because <laughs> otherwise they may have been kicking the can down the road. So we're, we're not saying have a conversation and then break up, but just simply understand what each other's thoughts and feelings are. And, and that might be just top three things on a page and then discuss those in detail. And then, as you said, if you've got assets coming into that situation, how do you want to play that out? You can legally draw that up. Um, and it, sh- it can be a difficult conversation to have, I know, because um, it, it is, uh, it's talking about money and it's talking about well, this is mine. How am I going to share this sort of thing? So, we, but we do need to thrash that out as opposed to it coming up in uh, in a couple of years' time. 
Yeah, definitely. Such an important conversation, um, an adult conversation, I would call it, to be mm. to be having, Absolutely. and one that need, needs needs to be entered with an open mind. But I also think, from an individual point of view, you need to understand what your deal breakers are, um, and what your personal uh, preference is for your your plan moving forward with property and money more broadly as well. Yeah, and and we're presuming that it's it's the home that they're going to be living in. If it's an investment, then it's totally emotion, uh, non-emotional, and and let's go and look at the the strategy and the numbers. Um, and to to a part, we're probably applying that, but those emotions have to come into it because there's two people wanting to to enter into that and to live in that for potentially the next ten to fifteen years. So, getting that right, and um, hopefully it ends up okay. The other thing, obviously, it's a logical step when you're buying with a partner is to um, ascertain what you can actually buy, right? Like the, the first step is to make sure you're on the same page and look at what you might buy. But then, um, you know, meeting with a mortgage broker together and working out, you know, contributions, maybe you've saved a deposit together, maybe you've got separate funds, how to navigate that best. And maybe also I have um, certainly read case studies even in the My Millennial Money Facebook group where people have um, spoken about, you know, whether we pay the mortgage 50-50 or do we pay it based on um, incomes? You know, what about when someone goes on maternity leave? What does that look like? So it's also once you've decided to purchase, how do you actually structure the finance around that and what support team can you have in place to make sure it runs as smoothly as possible? Yeah, really good tips there. And uh, yeah, it's the whole 50-50 and, and expectations of, of each each other, isn't it? And and how serious we are in the relationship. And it's almost approaching it like a, a joint venture where mm. two people that didn't know each other have come together to buy a property. Um, <laughs> it's just that emotions do, do get in the way of that. But I, I had one experience where uh, a couple were buying a property together for the first time, just like this question. And what was happening was uh, one of the two would would looking for property that was probably out of their price point, back to your um, point about the mortgage broker and borrowing, uh, while the other one was realistic about what we can buy in a particular market and was thinking more about long-term wealth as opposed to where they wanted to live. That didn't phase them as much. So again, that swings it back to what do, what does each individual want and let's be realistic and let's understand the markets that we're, we're um, going to be purchasing or, or at least bidding in. Yeah, that's the hardest thing. You're always like when it's a couple buying um, to get a couple that's exactly on the same page of, you know, even down to um, the look and feel of the property, it is so difficult, but you'll often find the debate sways between location versus accommodation, um, those two factors. And um, ideally, you meet in the middle to accommodate everybody's needs, but sometimes you may need to work out what you've got to sacrifice to get there. And, you know, that's part of being in a relationship and in a partnership. There's always compromise. Absolutely. And challenges. So, yeah, mm-hmm. but we don't want champagne taste on beer money. We've got to be no, realistic about what we're doing. That's 100%. Mm. Yes. Good question. So, Hannah Fernell says, I am due to refinance after two years of a fixed rate on my new build owner-occupied, and my mortgage broker has recommended a variable rate. Is it risky at the moment to go for a variable rate with the rates dropping over COVID? Oh, interesting one. Yeah, generally speaking, there's a bit of conversation in the Facebook group about that over the last few days, wasn't there? What are, yeah. what are your thoughts on this? 
Look, it's an interesting one. I think the base level of it is understanding your comfort levels, right? Because variable is subject to change. It's a variable rate. Um, it goes up, it goes down. Whereas a fixed, you know, you can account for in particularly in the investment space, you know, cash flow and understanding repayments and things like that. Um, and also the term in which you fix it for. Uh, I personally lean more towards fixed, but that's a complete personal preference and it's from the investing eye. Um, it is more common, I think, that people are having split loans and they are having a portion fixed and a portion um, variable. So um, there's no, I don't think there's a definitive rule. I actually think a lot of it comes down to an individual's comfort level and then understanding the numbers behind it. You know, if I um, go variable, how much can I potentially save in interest or am I a bit more conservative, want to know exactly what the figure is ongoing and I and I go with a fixed rate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, it's the whole fixed versus variable thing. We've, we're privileged to have the option, aren't we? Um, like petrol prices, uh, we, it goes up, it comes down. We can't fix petrol prices in unless we bulk buy. So we just, we just cop it on the chin every time we go to the Bowser based on crude oil prices, etc. So because we've got this choice, we try to speculate the market. We try to think, well, is it going to go up in the next 12 months or two years? Is it going to come down? And I think generally speaking over time, what I've witnessed is we, we don't generally beat the banks. We, we, if we f- try and fix rates in, uh, there's a good chance that it, it, that it won't be beneficial um, to us from a, just a dollar um, point of view. But what fixing does is it gives us safety and security, doesn't it? Mm. The, the ability to say, right, these are my repayments each month for the next two years, lock it in. And I think if we're going to do that, we need to be happy and comfortable in the, in the sense that if rates do go down, that we're not looking at it. It's like um, I've sold a house or I've sold some shares, don't go and look at the prices again and that let, let's move on. So I think that's one part of it is our, our psychology around actually doing that uh, or making that decision. Um, but definitely a, a lot of it's back to well what's happening in the next two to three years of me fixing that rate in my life do I need more certainty than I normally have am I have I got a lower risk profile than than maybe someone else that's willing to to stay variable uh, and are we going on maternity leave have we got higher costs in our life that we need to be able to manage have have we got some job uncertainty I mean all those things uh, uh, high level things that maybe we need to be thinking about when we're buying property or, or anything anyway. But I think, yeah, generally speaking, what's the, what's the rates doing at the moment? There's, there's a, a bit of a trend towards them uh, heading up, not down, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think having a, a broker on board who can help you understand the pros and cons of both um, and, and advise you correctly across multiple banks, because obviously, rates vary based on bank. But also I think um, we're both aware, but you know, generally speaking, it's not always just about the rate. In this instance, in this question, it is, but more broadly, it's also about the product type and how it suits you and your circumstances. If it's, you know, uh, self-employed versus um, company versus an ABN versus PayYG, there's all different factors. So more broadly, um, not just focusing on the rate number itself. Good point. Uh, Luke Duckett 
says the rapid increase of property prices in regional areas, in brackets, I'm from the Hunter Valley, lovely part of the world, due to the exodus of workers from capital cities, this problem compounding into the rental market as well. So, mm. yeah, it's it's more of a, I suppose, a statement than a question. Yes. Um, but we have seen some massive increase in, in uh growth or growth in the regional areas, haven't we, in the last couple of years? Yeah, definitely to the point where, you know, I I think of coastal towns and regional towns where the rent per week was just like nothing to bother about. Like it was just, it was affordable um, in comparison to the same property type in the city. It was drastically different. Now it's a closing gap and not only is it on the price of rentals because they've drastically increased and people are feeling the pain locally, particularly people who have been there, you know, 15, 20 years and people are getting displaced. I've definitely heard of this, particularly up in Queensland. It seems like the further north you go, the more displaced people are getting because they can't afford to keep up with the rent increases. That has a real knock-on effect and it also um, it also means that the supply and demand equation is really imbalanced, particularly if the people who are exiting the city want to rent in those coastal towns or those regional towns for a year before they commit to a purchase, which that would probably be the smart thing to do, try before you buy, then that's, you know, more competition in that rental market. And um, whilst that may be good for investors, you know, maximising on these returns that have all of a sudden seen these properties have a great cash flow, uh, myself being one of them, I feel actually personally conflicted because I'm like, these people all need houses. So it's it's a real big balancing act and it's something that's happening across the board at the moment. And I do feel for those looking for rentals in regional areas because it's been a massive knock-on effect. Yeah, totally. Yeah, see, you're right. You've got two sides of the coin, haven't you? You've got the the investor that wants to take advantage of, of uh maybe moving housing prices and build their wealth and you've got the the tenant that needs to be housed and there's not enough houses to basically fit everyone into which is a a, a sad state of affairs and the and the cost of building and the the cost of materials and the time lag on that in the, in the recent months and years have really put a more of a slow to that um, I think generally speaking, we're, we're not building enough houses to house the population, the growing population of Australia to begin with. And, and I think um, Luke's comments are, um, are valid in the sense that people have moved from the capital cities because of uh, affordability into these larger regional areas. And this has put pressure on property prices. And generally speaking, rents follow capital growth. So once we've had a growth period in a market, uh, rents will start to increase and we've already seen that uh, due to more people not being able to afford to buy. So there's more people now renting and the, the flow on effect or the knock on effect occurs. But the, the gap is closing on regional prices versus city prices. And I think that the problem there is, uh, as we see city prices continuing to increase, uh, will continue to see regional prices increase. That That's my take on it. I don't mm-hmm. think regional prices are growing just because of COVID and let's get out of the CBD. It's just generally an affordability thing for a lot of people. Um, and, and while we're on that regional thing, especially larger regional centres like um, – uh, say Central Coast, Wollongong, Newcastle, uh, Bendigo, Ballarat, Geelong, like 
people think in, in regional areas, they drive through them and they see a lot of agricultural land around it and say, well, there's, there's this unlimited uh, land supply that will, will cause an oversupply of land, right? But mm. that's not actually the case because a lot of those farmers around uh, uh, third generation farmers that are going to stay there for the next hundred years and not develop their land, um, mm. councils are, are a lot slower to, to put um, processes in place to, to get land out of the ground registered um, than they are in the city centres. So you'll often find a lower uh, vacancy rate in a regional centre than you will in some uh, city suburbs. So, yeah, just just understand that when you're looking at um, affordable strategies uh, for for investing. And just a further thought on that, John. Just as you were talking through that, I was thinking like, so if the regions are becoming so popular now, where they once sort of weren't, and they were attainable for people, and for some now it's just not. Are we going to then see like this almost ripple effect, which has happened in this? the majors, like in the major cities, right, of like your different rings or your different radiuses out of the city become more and more expensive. Are we then going to see like a regional version of that where like remote towns, as we would know them now, start to become like the brother or the sister of the main regional hub and actually start to see unexpected growth because, you know, they've had like a minimal increase over time because nobody lives there and nothing's happening. Like will we then start to see this urbanization of of regional towns to then almost become like a satellite city yeah yeah i think so there's there's definitely satellite cities or, or focuses from state governments on building these satellite cities and they're usually larger regionals that have already got good infrastructure in place they've got the universities they've got their airports they've, people can fly in and out um regardless of whether they're two hours or three hours from a capital city they can get in and out of there pretty quickly if they need to because of their airstrip. So uh, I think they, they will. The The only thing to be wary of from an investment point of view is the the really small areas are diminishing in population because the retirees are going into these larger satellite cities to be closer to hospital and amenities and as they get older, uh, retirement villages, whatever that may be. So that the, don't go too small in population if, if yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah, definitely as an investor, you've, you've, uh, it's a big country and mm. there's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> whilst a lot of the population's on the East Coast, it, it doesn't mean there aren't opportunities elsewhere. Indeed. Well, we're going to take a quick break and come back with some more questions. We'll be back in just a second. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, for those of you who have been long-time listeners and you've enjoyed listening to John and I, uh, it's so hard to know. You know, John and I sit here and we, we do these uh, episodes and we're kind of like, who's even listening? <laughs> I mean, we know people listen, but like it would be so nice to hear from you, um, whether that's in the form of reaching out on the, the Facebook page under My Millennial Money or even just a, a sneaky little review just to give us some feedback on what you love, what we could do better. Um, we... We love that and don't underestimate how much impact that does have for both of us. So if you've been a long-term listener or even this is your first one and you're really enjoying the episode, um, feel free to jump in and leave a little review. Yeah, totally. Now, back into it. What question do we have next? All right. So this is definitely one for you, Emily. Maryanne Parker says, how to tell when a frosted window can be replaced by a clear one? I called (laughs) council once and they were extremely rude, but I've also seen frosting that seems to have been added by the resident and could therefore be removed. Am I being wishful or should I walk away when I see frosted windows? Oh, this is outside the box. (laughs) I love it though, because um, for some people, instantly seeing a frosted window, they rule out a property because you don't want frosted windows, which is probably too much of a generalization. Let's just address that first and foremost. Frosted windows are not an evil force. Is that because they're ugly or like why do people walk away from them? I, I feel like it's like not you can't see sky and you can't see natural light directly, but they're there for a reason. It's so you can maximise light without having to have a sheer blind down all the time because yeah. it looks into a neighbour or, you know. The interesting thing with frosted windows is obviously, particularly new builds, like council has to approve and they have to be signed off based off the planning permit and adhered to. Now, this is not advice. However, Do you think the council is going to come back and re-inspect your property once that property has been deemed as meeting council code five years, ten years down the track? What you do need to be careful of, if, if a frosted window has to be frosted, then legally speaking, you cannot touch it, right? But the only way it would flag if the frosting happened to disintegrate miraculously somehow is if a neighbour flagged it or somebody flagged to the council that you were in breach of the code of the property. So it's very similar to um, the the case in point when, for example, a carport gets converted to a garage when it hasn't been permitted. The only way it's going to get picked up is usually when the property is up for sale and people are doing their due diligence or a neighbour is a bit nosy and notices a change that they don't like and they report you to council. Yeah, no, fair point. Oh, I think... 
Would I walk away when I see frosted windows? Absolutely not. Uh, I think no. you're looking at whether it be for investment or for, for you to live in, yeah, you, you, you're choosing the location and the, the property, those two things. Uh, just the fact that it's got something in it that doesn't appeal to you, I don't think is a game changer. But as you said, you've got to understand rules and regulations for each council. Um, the, the concern may be is when you want to sell it. So I think a strategy of, well, how long are we holding this property? If it's my forever home doesn't really matter, does it? Like it's just about you and and your uh, what what appeals to you. But um, yeah, I don't think it's a game changer by any means. Totally, yeah, agree. Now, just because the the council was rude, on a side note, uh, I would just continue <laughs> to to knock the door down, and yeah. I, I don't even mind um, going in and sitting down with someone. It's always yeah. good to eyeball them and have a have a conversation because they have got people in there. Um, funnily enough, that, that deal with humans. this sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Brandon Papalia says, should my partner and I rent out our hobby farm in your home region of Tasmania, Emily? Oh, look out. We're moving back to Western Australia to be close to our families and are trying to decide to sell or rent out. Uh, so well done for that because as of today, it's been 700 days since people have been able to get back into WA, so that's, that's fantastic. Mm. We expect the property to increase in value over the next few years and think it might make sense to defer the cost of the cost, sorry, of selling for a few years later and take advantage of appreciating land value. Mm. Well, First and foremost, shout out to Tasmanians, um, if any Tasmanians are listening. Second of all, it's a really interesting one because um, being a hobby farm, and I'd be interested to know how large this farm is, if you are renting it out, you really need it to be in the hands of someone who's going to care for it because, yes, um, your land has value, but only if it's being looked after. And so, uh, if I was in this in that situation, I'd probably want to – and this probably does lend itself to Tassie. I'd probably want to know the local who is um, planning to rent it out and have maybe even know them, um, still have a formal agreement in place, you know, and a property manager in place, given you're going to be in WA. Um, But I certainly think if it were me, I'd want to hold land as long as I possibly can. If I don't need to sell out of that land, particularly if it's an area of scarcity and a farm presumably is a fair bit of land, um, if you if you can find the right tenant and it's going to be low stress for you, I would personally suggest renting it out until you have to sell or until the value is, you know, realised um, beyond today's prices. Mm. Yeah, have to sell is a is a important part of this, isn't it? Like Mm. when we sell property, we should want to sell it, not have to sell it. So I would keep that in mind when looking at our decision making. Can I buy in uh, Western Australia right now and comfortably keep that hobby farm without having to sell that property? And is the hobby farm cash flow positive, looking after itself, wiping its own face, get on with life over in WA? If the answer to that is yes, then are there any downsides to having it or keeping it other than the maybe the ongoing relationship with property manager and finding new tenants? So as, as you mentioned, the location is critical there to see vacancy rates. Is there a demand for this or was, was it just us living on a hobby farm um, miles from anywhere and there's no demand out there? So mm. understanding the dynamics of that but really considering 
uh, not ever having to be in a position where we have to sell. It's a, yeah. it's a case of, yeah, selling when, when it's right for us. Um, it, de-risking ourselves might be an option too, like we, what's our mortgage going to look like in WA? Do we just want to have a really low mortgage and a comfortable lifestyle over there as opposed to building a portfolio? So, yeah, a few yeah. factors to take into account there, but good question. Um, yeah. Yeah, We're always interested in hobby farms around the – place yeah. it's becoming it's almost gone reverse cycle hasn't it the the yeah. whole hobby farm change of lifestyle a bit of green green change yeah people love them um and it's always so cool to hear what people actually have on their hobby farms like you know yeah. um depending how large it is and you know what um what cattle you might have as well or even just little chooks roaming around have your free range eggs that's it uh there's uh, plenty to enjoy in that sort of lifestyle. So good on you guys for owning a hobby farm. Yep, well done. Now, I think we've got time for one, maybe two more, do you think, John? I think we have. Okay, so let's uh, let's look at this one. We're, we're going right around the country today, which was good. Oh. My Fan Y, My Fan Y Mogford, I think I pronounced that correctly, <laughs> interviews with real estate agents, BAs in different states, in brackets, South Australia. So much of the info is Eastern state-based, also increasingly interested in sea change property investment post-COVID. Mm, couple of parts to that. Couple of parts to that, definitely. Yes. Uh, I assume interview means like, you know, in the process of appointing someone in either which way. Yeah, so I think real estates and BAs, two different conversations, aren't they? Are we going to uh, engage a BA to do all that work on our behalf and have the relationships with the real estate agents or are we going to do it ourselves and knock down the doors of real estate agents to get listings? Yeah. So interviews with them, yeah, look, I I think it's – I've always tell, told people when I'm trying to buy property – I'm opening my heart up to the real estate agents and saying, look, this is what I've got to spend. This is what I want. These are the suburbs I want to buy it in. Um, tell me when you've got new listings. Like, mm-hmm. uh, As opposed to most people that go through open homes and, and try to remain anonymous and just mm-hmm. yeah, uh, walk in, walk out without actually trying to, to <laughs> see that anyone was there sort of thing. So yeah, what, what do you think? Well, just on that, I think it's also the fear of a lot of people will have a varying uh, budget that they're trying to work with. And so, um, if they attend a property that's, you know, maybe, um, let's say 900,000, and then the following week they attend one with the same agent that's 700,000, the um, assumption is, well, the, the agent knows I've got more money and they'll take more money out of me and I'm worried about that. Like. Yeah. Just because you have nine hundred thousand doesn't mean the property is worth that. Yeah, okay, yeah. it's it's so the the agent isn't going to cheat you. Um, yes, they know you've got a little bit more in the tank, but that doesn't mean that that property equals X amount. So, I agree with you, John. I think when if you're going solo and you're interacting with agents, then yeah, tell them exactly what it is that you want. Give them an example of a sold property that you would be happy to replicate and buy mm-hmm. um, and use it to your advantage. Just keeping in mind, they're probably less accommodating when it's a seller's market because they've got plenty of buyers to work with and probably don't service the buyers as highly, even though they probably should. So just keep in mind, you know, if you're not getting service from a real estate agent, they are in, engaged by the vendor and that is where you know, their service does lie. Yeah, absolutely. So 
when uh, when they mention that the the info is eastern state based um yeah yeah like that that may be sort of podcast and we might be guilty of a lot of that stuff because majority of the listeners are eastern state based but I think the online information and and the information you can gather from local real estate agents should be all relevant to the area that you you are researching, shouldn't it? So I yeah. think just ninety percent of of all knowledge gained to be able to buy property can be done from your own office or, or lounge room. Yeah. In in my opinion, uh, but I'm interested in this sea change. Um, I suppose comment. Um, and, and so are they. They're saying, well, post-COVID, what's going to happen? Are we going mm-hmm. to see people retract to the city or are we going to see more of this sea change and people realising, hang on, there's more to life than just work and let's move for a cheaper mortgage and a, and a better lifestyle and some, some fresh air and some green grass? What, what are your thoughts? Look, I think it's already sort of tapered off um, more generally in what I'm hearing and seeing on the ground, but... I do, I do think there will be a return to the city trend. Um, I don't think it's going to happen this year. You know, we're recording in 2022. I think maybe give it more towards 2025. And I do think we'll start to see an influx of people come back as cities start to get up and running again and really on full speed. And I think, you know, those commutes that were only going to be two days a week might be back to five days a week and therefore it's a bit more painful. Um, so I think right now it's still prevalent, certainly not, to the extent of 2021 where everybody seemed to be moving somewhere else um, outside of where they they were. But I think the sea change will remain and keep those regions quite healthy in terms of prices. But then I do think there will be a return to back towards the cities again, which I think um, we should start to see in sort of three to five years, I would predict, but could mm. be totally off the mark, but that's just my personal prediction. Yeah, so do you think people have, have moved out two, three, four, five hours from their their CBD and have bought property out there and, and you think that they'll realise, hang on a minute, I want to be back where I grew up or where I'm closer to work and, and they'll sell their property and move back? Like how do you see that playing out because it's – well, interesting. it's interesting because really before um, before the pandemic, the biggest criteria for picking location was around work. Mm. It really was. It was, you know, I need to be closer to the commute to work. So if um, the c- commuting to work and workplaces are sort of looking more towards uh, more days per week in office, then that criteria sort of trumps, you know, having space, <laughs> having a, a big yard or um, being in a coastal town um, and away from the city. So I do think it will, that may see it swinging the other way um, and people will realise that it was a, maybe a temporary change, not for all, but yeah. I think for a percentage of. Yeah, okay. Interesting. I'm, I'm leaning the other way. and We don't yeah. often disagree, Emily, but uh, today we are, all right? <laughs> we, we just have conversations. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Passive aggressive. <laughs> I, and I'm banking on businesses to continue their form in, in this sure. space when I say this. Uh, I, I think businesses have learnt a lot through this period. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of it will come out as a positive, not a negative, in the sense that their their employers were as productive at home as they were in the office. And whilst they might lose the cultural aspect of everyone in the office and, and let's have Friday drinks and everything else, I think they can gain it in other areas that's going to create for a more productive, uh, increased, enhanced lifestyle for, for the individuals within that company. 
uh, sure. which I think will in turn mean that, right, I can go out to Bustleton in WA or I can go to um, Gawler in Adelaide or in South Australia or I can go to Bundaberg in Queensland and I can actually perform my role to the best of my ability as though I was in the office where I used to be um, mm-hmm. and also in a lot of areas uh, the industries are growing Diverse industries are growing, the economies are growing, so I can actually go and get a job out there now, whereas maybe 10, 15 years ago, I couldn't do that. So, mm. yeah, I actually see this trend continuing. Um, I think you're right, the, the, there was a large influx in the last 12 to 18 months and that yep. may come off a little bit, but I think they'll still, it'll still continue to trend. Well, if we're still both here in five years' time podcasting, <laughs> That's right. we can refer back to this episode and, and see what's happening. Who so, knows what's going to happen between now and then? God knows. Yeah, no, we haven't got a crystal ball. We've just got no. an opinion. Yes, definitely. All right. Well, that was uh, that was a good Q and A session. So, yeah. as always, if you've got any questions you want to ask, just put them into the Facebook group. Emily checks that every two hours. She's up to date <laughs> with all that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we can uh, we can answer hopefully answer your question to the best of our ability. We can't get them all, but we'll try. Most definitely. Thanks for submitting questions. Keep them coming, and we'll be with you again next week. Okay. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created The Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.